Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Pirelli tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. As we get closer to football season, God bless it, um, I've started looking at the college football season. And in particular, breaking down the way that I see this season going. And i got to be honest with you. The more and more I'm looking at the season, but about three weeks out is when I hope. You know, we just had all those Florida guys get suspended, seven Florida Gators, including Antonio Callaway, one of the top uh, wide receivers in all of college football is out. And as we get closer and closer to the start of college football and you finally get those suspensions kind of out the way, at least you hope, you start to look at the way the season is breaking down and think about what the storylines might be. Now, I've I've been of the opinion, you guys know this, if you listen to the show regularly, you know that I believe in the NFL, all that matters is your quarterback. And we've spent a lot of time in the NFL talking about how we think quarterbacks are going to do this year, what are the top quarterbacks, who are the top quarterbacks, how is that going to lead to the outcome of the 2017 season in the NFL. Well, college football is a little bit different because quarterbacks matter, But by and large, there aren't that many guys. You know, look, do we have a JT Barrett? Do we have a Baker Mayfield? Do we have a Lamar Jackson? Are there lots of good returning quarterbacks? Yes, there's no doubt. We've talked about on this show a great deal that I believe Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold are probably going to be the first two quarterbacks taken, USC versus UCLA, the best quarterbacks that we've got in college football in the city of Los Angeles since Rodney Pete was going up against Troy Aikman. But as I look at that landscape – For college football, coaching is the equivalent of quarterbacks. That is, 
just like in the NFL, you need a top 10 or 12 quarterback in order to be capable of winning a championship. In college football, you need a top 10 or 12 coach in order to win a championship. The coach is the quarterback. Same thing. So I'm looking at the list and looking at all the different teams and and their odds of winning a championship, and I start sketching out which college football coaches am I most confident in. In the same way that uh, a few weeks ago we said, okay, which NFL quarterbacks are we the most confident in as the season comes closer and closer? Every year I kind of reassess where I think college football coaches rank in the larger stratosphere. And I don't think there's anybody out there very much who would discount the best coach in college football is Nick Saban. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, the best coach in college football, maybe the best coach in the history of the sport, is Nick Saban. And his team, the Alabama Crimson Tide, according to our friends at Odd Shark, are pretty much a prohibitive favorite to win the national title this year. And we'll be down at the game between Alabama and Florida State when one versus two or one versus three begins, Alabama against Florida State. So Nick Saban is the most dominant college football coach of all time. I think best is a little bit more challenging because Saban is not going to have the same year years of coaching that other quote-unquote best coaches have. But in terms of just sheer dominance, there's been three years of the playoff. Nick Saban has been in it every year. And he's either won it or lost to the team that won the national title in all three of those years. First year, they get upset by Ohio State. Ohio State goes on to win it. Second year, Nick Saban wins it. Last year, Bama gives up a lead in the second half, loses with one second left against Clemson. So I think no matter who you are, Nick Saban is by far the most dominant coach in college football. Number two, I think no matter who you are, Urban Meyer. I think Urban Meyer is the second most dominant coach in college football. So, in the same way that if I were predicting the NFL, it would be hard-pressed to go against the top two quarterbacks. Right now, my prediction may be crazy, but my prediction for who shouldn't beat in the Super Bowl is New England against Green Bay. And why am I making that decision? Because I believe that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. Who do I think is going to meet for the national championship in college football this year? I think it's going to be Urban Meyer against Nick Saban, the two best coaches in college football going head-to-head once more for another title. That's my expectation. Third spot. This is where it starts to get interesting because I think it's clearly Nick Saban. I think it's clearly Urban Meyer. Third spot. I think it's Dabo Sweeney. I think if you look at the overall landscape of college football and what Dabo Sweeney just did in the playoff, 31-0 over Urban Meyer, following it up with a win over a favored Nick Saban coach team, and combining it with all the years of success that Dabo has had, including being in the national title game back-to-back years, beating Bob Stoops two years ago, and then almost beating Nick Saban in 2016. I think there's no doubt that Dabo Sweeney is number three, and then Jimbo Fisher is number four. Jimbo, while he's had a lot of controversy surrounding the Jameis Winston incident and has kind of constantly been in the line of fire, I think those four coaches right now are substantially better 
than everybody else in college football. And after those four, I think it gets really fascinating as to who's the best as we come into this 2017 season. You start to break down the talent. I think, look, I mean, who's the fifth best coach in college football right now? Man, I'm not sure that there is an easy answer. I think you can make an argument for a lot of different guys. But to me, those four coaches have created a significant gap between themselves and the rest of college football. I believe I am correct in this. And Jason Martin, you can let me know if I'm wrong. Those are the only four coaches now that Bob Stoops has retired that are coaching right now in college football that have ever won a national championship. Les Miles is out of coaching right now. Obviously, he won a national championship with LSU. Bob Stoops in this offseason decides to retire. And I believe I am correct that those four guys, which is pretty wild to think about, those four guys are the only four guys coaching in college football right now who have won a national championship. Now, Dabo's team is probably going to take a little bit of a a jump back this year. The other three guys that I mentioned are favored to be in the playoff this year. And then the fourth guy that's favored to be in the playoff this year is Clay Helton's USC team. But the reason why that's happening really doesn't have that much to do with Clay Helton. It has more to do with the excitement surrounding Sam Darnold, who is your preseason favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. So as I'm thinking about the college football season, and we get, whatever, 17 days till the big weekend kicks off, about 10 days until we get our first games, I think down in Australia, who is the next guy? Who's the next guy on the landscape of college football to win a national championship? Who is it out there that is ready to join these four guys as basically the kings of college football right now. Because I don't think anybody would doubt my top four, right? Maybe you quibble with whether Jimbo is three or four versus Dabo, but right now the four best coaches in college football are Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney, and Jimbo Fisher. Who is the next coach out there that is going to rise up and win a national championship? Could argue it's Clay Helton. You could argue Bobby Petrino. Louisville's a little bit on the outside looking in. You could argue tough James Franklin. D'Antonio's team's not going to be very good at Michigan State this year. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Who is your guy that's going to rise up and win the next national championship in college football and become one of those top coaches? Going to open up to phone lines and let you guys give me your pitch. And I'm also going to bring in the crew in the next segment and let them give me their pitch. Who is the guy that is prepared to attain the mantle of greatness in college football? Because I would argue this is as wide open as the field has been in some time if you eliminate the top four guys, the guys who have national championships already. I think it's really kind of wide open who that next guy to win a national championship is going to be. And is it going to require you to leave progr- to change programs? Right? Like, I love Bobby Petrino, but I'm not sure that Bobby Petrino at Louisville, even as good as Lamar Jackson is returning, 
is able to win a championship there. Now, maybe he is. But is Bobby Petrino going to ju- uh, switch jobs? Is Chip Kelly the next guy to win a national championship, even though he's not coaching right now because he's going to come back to college football in November or so and become the next great coach in college football? Is it somebody coming out of nowhere? Is there a guy that is going to be able to catch lightning in a bottle and ascend to the title? Is it Chris Peterson at Washington? Who maybe I probably would say right now, if you told me who is the fifth best coach in college football, I would probably say personally, it's Chris Peterson. I would say Chris Peterson at Washington is the fifth best coach in college football. You look at what he did at Boise State, how close he came to getting involved in a championship there, obviously taking Washington to the playoff this past year. And given the fact that Washington isn't exactly a long-term blue blood. I mean, they're a top 20 program, top 25 program. But the success that Chris Peterson has had, I would probably say that he's the next guy to win a national title. But what makes me a little bit nervous about that is Washington in conjunction with all of the other guys that are out there and all the other programs. It's a fascinating question, I think, as we get very close to the start of the 2017 football season. Who is the next guy to win a national championship? 877-996-6369. I gave you my top four. My guy is Chris Peterson. I think he's the fifth best coach in college football. I would probably put money on him being the next coach to win a college uh, to win a championship. Who have you got? Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weeknights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Who's the next guy to become a made man in college football? I think just about all of you, and again, the phone number 877-996-6369 would agree with me that the top four coaches in college football, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney, Jimbo Fisher. Only four guys in college football who have won national titles. I think in that order, and the only order you could really flip them is Dabo, Jimbo. You could go Jimbo, Dabo. Either way, either Florida State's head coach is the third best or Clemson's head coach is the third best. I think anybody who's arguing anything other than Nick Saban one and Urban Meyer two is totally crazy. So I've got my top 11 list in college football. And what's funny about this is it gets pretty debatable pretty quickly who the best coaches in college football are. I'll go to you guys, but the question I'm asking you right now is who's the next made man? Who's the next coach to win a national title in college football that doesn't currently have one? And I'll go to you first, Jason Martin. Would you agree with my top four first question? Second, who's the next guy? Yeah, absolutely I would. Um, and I'm glad you put Dabo at three because that's where I had him as well. One and two, I think that's pretty obvious. I think three and four are pretty obvious. And then as you said, it does start to open up. You can look at Franklin. You can look at Helton. You can look at a guy like Tom Herman. Uh, if you want to look at short-term success at a small program, I, I'm going to have to see what he does in a bigger situation before I'm going to be able to put him there and feel good about it. But there are definitely some names out there. I think the easy name is the one I'll go with because I just – look, I know he has not been able to do it yet, but I'll go with Jim Harbaugh, and I like Chris Peterson as well, and I think that he would probably be my next guest. But I'll go with Harbaugh just because eventually he's going to get the right crop of guys there, and I still believe that they're in a great position to potentially win. And watching him and Meyer go back and forth once Jim finally does have the people in place – 
I'll go with Jim Harbaugh. That might be the easiest answer to go with. So that would probably be me. I just think he's in the right situation to win. I also really like Franklin a lot. And I think that that Penn State team this year is going to be really fascinating to see just what kind of havoc they cause in the Big Ten. Let's go out to L.A. Who would be your guy? Am I, alli- am I allowed to be a homer? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take Clay Helton. And, and so I, you're, you, and when, and what's interesting about going Clay Helton, and by the way, that's not a bad pick at all because you look at the favorites to win national championships this year, and I'm pulling up the odd shark uh, odds right now. And if you were just going with teams that are favored to win championships, okay, uh, Alabama right now, let me see the numbers, the most efficient number. Alabama is plus 240. They are a pretty substantial favorite. And then. USC right now at the list that I'm looking at is the second most likely team to win a national championship, and they are plus 750. So a little bit over seven and a half to one, followed by Ohio State and Florida State. Those four are the only four programs in America that are single-digit favorites to win the championship, and obviously Alabama opens with Florida State. Uh, USC second most likely. So I'm not sure how great of a coach Clay Helton is, but if you're just betting based on the championship futures, Clay Helton, Vegas is telling us, would be the next coach to win a championship. Yeah, I mean, it was only one good season, but I feel a second great season coming on. I mean, and when it looked as if he was about to be fired, he stood tall and led the Trojans to a pretty impressive season. He's got the QB to do it in Sam Darnold, and he's only 45 years old. So he's got a bright future ahead of him. He stays on track. What about you, uh, Justin? Anyone that jumps out? Well, Justin is gone. This is Robert uh-huh. here today. Robert, even better. Good. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, I-, I wanted to go with Chris Peterson. I do have uh, some ties to UW. But to go a little bit off the board here, I'm thinking Mark Richt, now that he's at uh, the U. You know, he's yep. always been a 10-win a kind of coach. And I think with the talent that he has at the U, playing in the ACC with uh, – you know, he'll have the opportunity to... He's got the number one recruiting class in the nation right now coming in for 20... Always the years... I'm getting old. 2018, next year's recruiting class. If you pay attention to that, Mark Richt is killing it down in South Florida at the U. Uh, All right, so good guesses there. Here are my top 12. Right now, in order, as we enter 2017, we're going to go to your calls right after this, 877-996-6369. I do a top 25 college football coaches. So far, I'm comfortable in my top 12. I had already started working through this. Saban, Urban, Dabo, and Jimbo, top four. I told you that my next guy to win a championship, Chris Peterson. I feel like he's the next best coach, even though I'm not sure that Washington, how good they're going to be this year. Then I've got James Franklin. He's now won the Big Ten, arguably nearly won the Rose Bowl, but for Sam Darnold putting forth an unbelievable performance, spectacular game for those of you who remember watching Penn State play USC. So I've got James Franklin at number six, also a young guy. At number seven, I've got Bobby Petrino. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous and apprehensive about his ability to win a national title at Louisville, although I think it can be done. But I love Bobby Petrino. If you put him at a, let's say, Tennessee or a Texas A&M or a Florida, if you put him at a big-time SEC program, I think that he would win at an insane level. Remember, he's only been able to coach so far in his career in major college football at Arkansas and Louisville. So it's always been a great question of mine, what would happen if you gave Bobby Petrino an unquestioned top 20 job? Uh, So I've got him at seven. I've got Harbaugh at eight. Um, And again, 
he hasn't come in any higher than third so far in the Big Ten East. So as he enters his third year, this was an interesting question I was thinking about. When uh, you know Florida's got all these guys suspended for that game, but think about Jim Harbaugh versus Jim McElwain, and what that situation, what that game is like for both Florida and Michigan as they open the season. If Florida pulls off that upset, the bloom is off the Jim Harbaugh rose a little bit, at least in terms of winning championships. And for Jim McElwain. They would both be in their third year. And the difference between Jim McElwain and Jim Harbaugh would not be that substantial, right? Because McElwain has won the SEC East two consecutive years. He would have beaten Jim Harbaugh in his third year to start off the season. And for all the attention that has rained down on Michigan and that Jim Harbaugh program, I have to say that we would significantly be underrating what Jim McElwain has done. So I have got Harbaugh at eight, but that's my first, like, eh, I'm a little bit nervous about that. David Shaw at Stanford at nine, the guy who I think is one of the greatest coaches of all time, maybe the greatest coach of all time in the modern era. If you compare what he's done to what the history of the program is without him, Bill Snyder at Kansas State is one of the top 10 coaches to me in college football. And then I've got Mike Gundy and Mark Richt as my top 12. That's my top 12 college football coaches coming into 2017. One thing that will jump out to you about my top 12 list, only one coach is from the SEC. And you want to know why the SEC has driven off of the national scene to a certain extent. It's because there's such a tremendous gap between Nick Saban and everybody else in the SEC. We've got multiple coaches from the Big 12. We've got multiple coaches from the Pac-12. We've got multiple coaches from the Big 10. And we got multiple coaches from the ACC in my top 12. But we only have one from the SEC. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. I have had, and, and I've, I wrote about this yesterday on Outkick, and it's gotten a little bit of attention. And I haven't addressed it on the show in any kind of substantial fashion. But last month, while I was overseas, the New York Daily News ran a story about me turning down a television show on FS1. Um, And since that time, that story has gotten a decent amount of attention. I haven't really addressed it on this show. So I wanted to just tell you guys the story. So I have had over the years a couple of different opportunities to take on television shows on FS1. Um, And I appreciate all those opportunities and everything else. They just haven't worked out. The most recent one happened in February at the Super Bowl. I was offered my own television show on FS1 with the condition that if I took it over, I had to stop talking about politics and I had to stop talking about pop culture. And the reason why I was told that was um, that they wanted me to be the next Skip Bayless. And Skip Bayless, in theory, doesn't do anything but just spout hot takes all day, right? I mean, that's what Skip Bayless does. It doesn't mean whether there's any legitimacy to them. doesn't mean that there's any truth to them. doesn't mean that there's any, like, real particular brilliance attached to them. He's just a hot take machine. But they're all almost all related to sports, although that's changed a little bit of late. And if you have hot takes about sports, it's not that big of a deal if you happen to be wrong because ultimately sports are entertainment. 
I am not willing to just stick to sports. You guys who know who listen to this show know that we go in a lot of different directions, whether it's talk about Game of Thrones, which I'm going to talk about here momentarily, or whether it's talk about politics, whether it's talk about larger societal issues, everything. I'm not anti-politics in sports. I'm anti-politics in sports when you only talk one side. That's why I rip MSESPN, because they don't come out and have people argue what I argue, which is Colin Kaepernick's a fraud and his protest was crap. They argue how much of a hero is Colin Kaepernick, because everything's so far left-wing. But I wanted you guys to hear this from me. I had a multi-million dollar offer if I wanted to get my own television show. A lot of people in my position would fall over themselves at the possibility of getting their own television show. Uh, And I turned it down. And I turned it down because right now I have the best bosses anywhere in the radio in Don Martin and Scott Shapiro, who are head up Fox Sports Radio, because what matters to me the most in my career, and you can say this is stupid. You should say, oh, Clay, all you should care about is money. You should say, oh, Clay, all you could care about is the prestige that comes with having your name attached to a television show. You could say all those things. You could say I'm an idiot for turning down a multi-million dollar television offer. But ultimately, I am more interested in having creative freedom than I am in making money. I've been fortunate. I've, I've lived in a place where I had hardly any money. A lot of you out there right now, I've been in that position, right, where you got multiple kids. I've talked about this on the show before. you got multiple kids, and you're not making that much money. And you sit around and you say, man, what am I doing? Am, am I doing the right thing for my family? It's one thing. I always say this. If you're a young guy or girl out there right now, and you're single and you don't have kids, the pressure on you is really not that high. You may feel pressure to be successful, but it doesn't take that much money to be able to take care of yourself if you don't have any kids and you're single. Once you get married and you have kids, or once you have kids, if you're not married, the pressure on you gets ratcheted up to a different level. And so I think there's a lot of dads and moms out there that have had that thought. Am I making the right career decision? Not just for me anymore, but for my family. And certainly I've been in that position. I've told this story before, but I remember being at a minor league baseball game, sitting there watching AAA players play and thinking, man, I'm so close to being a major league player, but I'm not sure if I'm ever going to leave AAA. And that level, I felt like a a large kinship with all the players that were out there on the field because they're out there busting their ass every day to be as good as they possibly can, and they are so close to cracking through the proverbial glass ceiling and becoming Major League Baseball players, but they're right there at AAA, and it might be where a lot of their careers end. May never get that call up to the big leagues. Well, I got the call up to the big leagues, and things have gone really well since that point in time. But I have now turned down two television shows because I would rather be able to sit and talk to you guys and be as honest as I possibly can because I would rather sit in the afternoon on my Periscope and my Facebook show and be as honest as I can. And I do think it's worth you guys thinking about why are my beliefs not allowable when it comes to mixing politics and sports? And if I were a left-wing ideologue, out here saying Colin Kaepernick is a hero, saying Michael Sam, because he's gay and he likes to have sex with men, is modern-day Jackie Robinson, because Caitlyn Jenner decided that she didn't want to be a man anymore. She's a hero. 
if I said all those things, I would unquestionably have a television show right now. And I'd be able to say them and scream them from the high heavens. You guys know that I'm a First Amendment absolutist. You know that I believe that the most important right that we have in America today is the First Amendment. That I only believe in two things wholeheartedly. I've said this before. The First Amendment and boobs. Neither has ever led me astray. But how ironic is it that if I just was lying to you guys, and if I came on here every day and just said, man, Colin Kaepernick, what a hero. What an unbelievable move that a modern-day Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King Jr. of the gridiron made when he decided not to stay for the na- stand for the national anthem. If I made those arguments, if I came on and I said, you know, in the history of mankind, I'm not sure there's ever been someone braver than Michael Sam. How brave of him to announce that he likes to have sex with men. I don't know that we can ever understate the overall impact of the modern-day Jackie Robinson when it comes to Michael Sam. Just tearing down barriers everywhere and coming out and saying, hey, I like to have sex with dudes. If I said that that was like a heroic move, and then if I also had said that Caitlyn Jenner was unbelievably, incredibly, extraordinarily brave for deciding that she didn't want to be a guy anymore. There's nothing more brave than cutting your penis off. That's the bravest thing that anybody could ever do. If I said all of those things, I'd have a television show. They'd all be lies. I wouldn't believe them, but I'd have a television show. Fair or foul? Seems a little bit off to me. But my pledge to you is the same that it's been since I first started this show. The reason why I'm telling you about turning down the television shows because it's out there, it's bouncing around, and I want you to hear directly from me. The thing that I pledge to you every day, you may not love me, you may sometimes hate me, on your way to work you may at times stare at your radio and be like, what in the world is this idiot saying? But what I pledge to you and I have been doing every day in my career since the moment when I started writing online in 2004 is I will always be honest with you guys. I am the most honest person in all of sports media, and I might be the most honest person in all of media in general. Other people are out there saying things that they think you want to hear or they're saying things that they think will advance their careers. I am sitting down every day in front of this microphone and in front of my computer screen and in front of my Periscope and my Facebook and every other medium and telling you exactly what I think every day, fair or foul. You may not agree with me, but I want you to know that. And I want you to know that making that decision has actually cost me millions of dollars. I don't know how many people in media can ever point to that and say, I have had a choice of whether or not I could sell out. I could sell out what I believe in exchange for money, or I can keep doing exactly what I'm doing and tell you guys the truth from my perspective every single day. And I had that choice. Sell out, get your own television show, make millions of dollars. I specifically asked the boss there, I said, what would you, so when you, when you made this offer to me, I said, I'll think about it. And then I said, but I got a question for you. What would you have me tell all those people out there who have become fans of me and have become fans of OutKick because of what 
I do. Because I try to be as honest as I can about sports, politics, pop culture, everything, every day. So what would you tell me, have me tell those people if suddenly I'm not going to talk about anything other than giving you sports opinions? And he said, I would tell them, thank you for getting me here, but I don't need you anymore. Should think about that for a minute. Thank you for getting me here, but I don't need you anymore. And as soon as I heard that, I knew what my decision was going to be. I will never be that person. I will never be that person who gets to the top of a mountain and turns around and shoves the ladder back off the top of the mountain and says, I'm here to hell with the rest of you. Some people will do that. A lot of people in this business will do that. Not honest, conniving, doing whatever they can in a duplicitous fashion to end up at the top of a mountain and then kick back the ladder and leave it behind. I'm not going to do that. Don't know how long I'll be doing this. I think it'll be years to come, but I think it's important that you guys know that you may not agree with me, but in a world where everybody, it seems, is artificial, my goal is to be 100% honest every day. And I actually said that in that meeting. I said, what do you want to do with your career? I said, I want to be 100% honest every day. He said, well, you can't be 100% honest every day on TV. And that's why I'm not doing TV and I'm doing radio instead. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. We are joined now by Britt McHenry. She was at ESPN for several years. She is now doing all sorts of interesting things in her career. But most importantly, we begin with this question. What is your verdict on Game of Thrones Season 7 so far? I know that you are also a huge fan. <laughs> um, that it's not going to be long enough. I feel shortchanged here that we only have two more episodes. But it, it's been amazing. It's hard for me. I don't know about you, Clyde, but like I love Season 6. And I felt like that really had a lot of powerful battle scenes and brought everything together. But the scene in um, episode, I guess we just saw episode five, episode four with Drogon, where she flew in, messed up some Lannisters, just disregarded Tyrion's advice for a minute. I, I thought that was pretty cool. That had to have been one of the best like battle scenes on at least a television, television series, let alone like you know, movies, if we want to bring that into it as well. I started watching Game of Thrones, I believe, in season three because my wife was watching, and eventually she was like, you like sex and violence, you're probably going to like this television series. (laughs) And I think that's the pitch I always made. People are like, oh, it's Dungeons, it's Dragons, like, you guys are losers. I'm like, do you like sex and violence? If you like sex and violence, you're probably going to like Game of Thrones. When did you start watching, and what was the impetus for you to start watching? I started season one, but it was halfway through i started watching um with a friend and of course if you're just walking into that show you have no idea what's going on i think that's what deters a lot of people from watching or it did initially because now millions of people watch every sunday but i started halfway through was doing that annoying like well who's this person heading into that person so i went back rewatched, you know the first i don't know five episodes i missed and then from there Every Sunday, religiously, I don't include to it. Um, that would be my alarm. 
We are talking to Britt McHenry. You can follow her on Twitter at Britt McHenry. It is mid-August, and football season is getting close. You have covered the NFL and sports in general aggressively. People don't realize how hard people like you work uh, when the season gets close and everything else. What does this football season feel like to you compared to past football seasons? Uh, It's going to be a little difficult not being out there on the field when, when Sundays actually start going and kicking off. Um, you know, for me though, Claire, like I've traveled so much. I spent the last three and a half, four years living out of a suitcase. So I'm actually in a really good place. It didn't necessarily happen the way that I had anticipated, but I think this was sort of a step that I wanted in my career for a while. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it's not as glamorous as people think it is, as you know, living on the road and going city to city for training camps. That I do not miss. I do not miss the 100-degree heat. So, um, you know, it, it has its ups and downs. Um, I think there will always be a place in me that loves it and misses it, but I feel so much more comfortable and passionate now talking about an array of issues, specifically when it's more political and news-related, because I think it has more of an impact than just talking about a fantasy lineup or transaction. Don't get me wrong, I do love my fantasy football, but I'm having a little bit more of an awakening now with other things. Yeah, so this is fascinating to me because Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people get a job like yours, and they think, Mm -hmm. this is the job I want to have for the rest of my life. I never want to do anything differently. And you get that job at a relatively young age, right? I mean, to, mm-hmm. to I, I talk to people who say that I always wanted to be a sideline reporter. Okay, you're 26 and you're doing that. And at some point when you're doing that job, you have to be entirely news-based, right? You're not on the mm-hmm. opinion side. At what point in time did you start realizing, man, I would like to be able to get my opinion out there more than I am? Was it something you knew as soon as you started? Was it something you kind of grew towards? Because I think for people out there listening, they don't necessarily think about the distinction between being a news person and being an opinion person. And once you become prominent in one or the other, sometimes it's difficult to move in categories, right? Because you get typecast. Yeah. How challenging was that? And when did you recognize you might want to be trying to do something different? Oh, that's a good question. So the first year I got to the network level, it was just taking everything in, right? You're enjoying every trip. I was the rookie reporter, so I'd go to the West Coast a lot, and I loved it. Saw a lot of places I'd never had seen. And then after that, you start to think to yourself, you know, it'd be great to go back in the studio. Because a lot of people don't realize I was an anchor and a reporter in Washington, D.C. for five and a half, six years. I started right out of school in D.C. That's a big market to start out in. And then I got to the network level at only 26, 27 years old. So a lot happened really fast. And I wondered, Clay, if that's part of it, like not necessarily a burning out sort of feeling, but I did a lot in my 20s that, you know, one could argue in sports, it takes till your late 30s, 40s to kind of get to. So after the first year or two, I I started to see some of the issues that were being discussed on air, and I wanted to be involved in it. And I knew that that wasn't the role that I had. Um, I knew a studio position also meant relocating and moving, which wasn't in the cards at that time. So I kind of bit my tongue on a lot of things, and... Now to have that ability to 
have reaction, which I have had in the past year or two. I wrote an article that you read, Clay, about police officers and, and looking at Charlottesville and from a different angle, which I did. And to get messages from, I have to say, at least 10 to 20 police officers around the country saying, wow, thank you for actually acknowledging us and, and listening to us. That, it just is so much more impactful to me than, like I said, talking about who got cut from the Browns, you know? Your article's really good. We'll retweet it. You wrote at mm-hmm. The Federalist. When did you decide you felt comfortable going out and being political? Because for a lot of people when they're in the news, you know, it's very scary to step out and say, like, I believe this as opposed to I'm reporting this. What's your experience mm-hmm. been like? How did you get comfortable doing that? It's all unfolding as we speak. I had always just been in that reporter box and sort of to touch on the last question, I think media is changing in general now. There are a lot, there's a lot more opinion and and with the internet and different social media sites, I think you have to be able to stand out and carve a space for yourself. So I don't disagree at all with different, all networks across the landscape doing that now because it's, it's what media is moving towards in general. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to try it. It was with a Colin Kaepernick article this summer, which still is just such a hot button issue, as you know. Yes. And I was nervous because there have been some agents along the way who were not okay with that. And anytime I would, like, even just a tweet about something more conservative, they I would get a call and I would be told not to do it. You know, there's some agents in the industry who would tell you you're insane for doing that. I've had that happen to not go there to, to not appear mean. Don't talk about conservative things. And my response was just like, you know what, this is what I'm leaning towards now. This is authentic. I'm not making it up for clicks. I believe in this. And I finally, I finally got with an agent who understands that and gave me that freedom. And so I do send a few things his way, but he's just sort of opened the door to say, you know what, I trust you're a good writer. I trust you're going to be fair. Go for it. So that's kind of what I'm doing, for better or for worse. I don't know. We'll find out. (laughs) We're we're talking to Britt McHenry. What I am impressed by is so many people use success as handcuffs, by Mm -hmm. which I mean once you have success, you're afraid to take further risk because instead of thinking about where you might go – you're worried about not staying where you are. And yeah. with you, you are making a conscious decision that, look, I've done sports for a long time. I've been very successful. But I think at this point in time in my career and also with my personal life and whatever your 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 lifestyle beliefs are, that this is the direction you want to go. And so many people would not do it, right? So the mm-hmm. fearlessness that you're taking and stepping out here is something that I really respect. How difficult has it been for you to say, I might be comfortable not being a sports person. At first, it was really difficult. Um, When everything happened um, with all of the people who were laid off at ESPN, that was back in April. I was on the NFL draft, the most marquee event. How did you find out that you were getting laid off? By phone call. (laughs) Did you have any Um, idea it was coming, or your phone just rang, you pick it up, and next thing? Because a lot of people have been through that. I've been through it. A lot of our listeners mm -hmm. have been through it. Sometimes you just get just floored. You have no idea it's coming. Did you have any indication that it might be coming? No, not at all. I, I honestly, for, for anybody, um, a lot of times when I would travel on location, if it was a great city, 
I mean, you're just sitting in a Marriott by yourself. So I would kind of drive out and, and do a couple things while I was also taking care of my reporting and research. And I had driven out to Sonoma. I mean, even if I wasn't affected, I wouldn't have done that knowing that that type of day was coming um, out of respect to other colleagues. And then what ended up being myself, uh, I got a call and, and the NFL draft was my favorite event to cover all year. It's a huge event. I was with the Cardinals. They're a great organization. So it, it, it blindsided me, but it, it really was after that, what am I going to do now? Because I just didn't feel the same passion looking at some other sports jobs at that time. So it wasn't necessarily like me looking back and asking all the what ifs. That happens naturally. But it was more like, I know that I'm driven by passion. So what exactly does that for me now? And a lot of people will troll you, you know, the world play on Twitter and social media. Like I'm not unemployed. I'm still under contract until next April. So um, they've been actually gracious to let me explore this new avenue with, with politics and, and what interests me. And um, so I still love sports. That's That could always be an option. But I think that, even merging the two, Clay, as we've discussed, there isn't a lot out there in terms of conservative voices. Um, and I don't even think I'm that extreme. I, so I think I'm more moderate, but a lot Join the of club. media in general <laughs> gets really liberal. And I just never noticed it as much as now that I have been expressing my opinion. But I like it. I really do. I don't, And I don't care if, if people disagree with me. Just be respectful, which often does not happen. But... Um, I, I think I'd rather see people who totally disagree with me that are being authentic to what they believe than um, just standing doing a report for 45 seconds, you know? Yeah, for 100%. We're talking to Britt McHenry. You can follow her on Twitter at Britt McHenry. You went to Northwestern University for a journalism school. You just mentioned the fact that the sports media in general, and I don't think this is a great surprise to people, tends to be left-leaning. We talk a lot about politics. Politics has it balanced out. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I call myself a radical moderate. You are not that far right either. But we seem like right-wing ideologues compared a lot of times to the way that sports get covered. Uh, is mm-hmm. that something that you, you've seen happen gradually, or does it happen all of a sudden? Like, I feel like maybe the Donald Trump experience running against Hillary Clinton kind of exacerbated it. But yeah. a couple of years ago, I just looked around and I said, holy hell, we're in a strange place. Yeah, I, you know... I just did an an interview. It was weird being on the other side of it, but with the Washington Post, and I was talking to that reporter about that same sort of observation. And a lot, I believe, has to do with the current climate and the administration, whether you support it or you don't. I don't, I think in a perfect world, we could just all escape with sports, right? It's fun. That's why a lot of us got into it. It's why a lot of us watch sports to get home from work and sort of put that life on pause. But there's so many examples where you can't completely ignore social issues and political issues right now going on with athletes and and games. I mean, it's just, it's there. You can't ignore it. I just didn't understand why there wasn't that full discussion. You know, why, why if we're talking, and I, I, I hate to keep using it, but Colin Kaepernick's been the most visible if we're talking about his protests and his stance, you know, it's it's more often than not, and I think you said this too, Clay, about how amazing it is, and everybody's agreeing with it. 
I think a better discourse for our, our country, even moving forward, is to have a complete discussion. And two people not agreeing necessarily with it. A, I think it makes for a more interesting watch. And B, I think that represents a lot of America. Like, I have a lot of sports fans now, Clay, even more so than the last three years, who come up to me when I'm running errands or I'm just out and about and say, hey, I read what you wrote or this is how I feel. And I didn't realize how many people sort of shared that silently and didn't really speak up about it. So... I don't know why it's not represented more. You know, I, I talked about this earlier on the show, Britt, and I said that I turned down a television show because I was told that I was too conservative and I couldn't mention politics. And um, and, and I, th- I thought that was fascinating because when I go out, I have the same experience. People don't come up to me and say, hey, your opinion on that Alabama-Florida game was really brilliant, right? Like <laughs> Because everybody's talking about Alabama-Florida or the Cowboys against the Giants. It's hard to say mm-hmm. something that's that unique. People come up and say the things that where I'm being really honest, right? This is what I believe. Uh, And and I found that to be the same thing. Now, you uh, have had an unbelievable social media experience because you've had some of the best, I would imagine, (laughs) and also some of the worst um, uh, experiences in your career. What, what, like, in your mind, do you think about how much different things would be if social media didn't exist? Because what I, when I, when, and for people who don't remember, you obviously had a viral moment that was not a, an ideal moment for you. But I imagine that it toughened you up and maybe made you more comfortable putting political opinions out there. Because what's the worst that somebody can say, right? Like, once people have mm-hmm. told you the absolute worst that they could think about you, then mm-hmm. it almost frees you up, I think, in some level to be as honest as you possibly can, because what can people think that's worse? Uh, exactly. <laughs> and I, I attribute a lot back to that incident two and a half years ago when I talk to people now about the kind of person I am, because it was, it was horrible. Like, it was a week that, it, that I sort of feel made me grow up in this industry and just in life in one week. It was probably like five years worth of growing up crammed into one. And um, I had every possible thing that could be said to a woman, every possible thing that could be said to a human being. I had it said to me. So you go through that experience, and um, I wish I didn't. I wish that night I had made different choices. I wish um, a lot that people don't know about it (laughs) didn't happen behind the scenes because, it wasn't like an edited rant. It was an actual argument between two people that was edited. Um, you know, I wish all of that didn't happen, but it did. So I don't feel like if people attack me or criticize me now, like I've been there, done that. Exactly. You know, and, and they're just words. But to your, to your first question, like, it would be totally different without social media. In fact, I had a lot of, like, older reporters and, and hosts reach out to me throughout the years and sort of say with wonderment, like, I don't know how this new generation does it because, you know, when I was your age and I was covering this story, I did this. And if there were cameras around me, my career would be over. So I've had a couple instances, Clay, where I've been out at restaurants or bars and I've noticed a group of friends or a group of guys trying to like take a Snapchat of me and my friends and, you know, you just don't want that on the internet. You don't want to be taking a drink with your friends and having a good night and it's put out there in the wrong way. So I think that it did toughen me up and it made me much more aware of my surroundings and who has a smartphone, which I think for anyone, not just in media, we should pay attention to sadly because things have changed. 
Final question, what's next for you? So you are moving into the world of politics. I'd encourage mm-hmm. you guys to go read Britt's uh, column that she's got up at The Federalist. Um, in an ideal world, what would the next several years of your media life look like? Who do you look to as a role model? Good one. Because <laughs> there's not necessarily – the reason why I ask is there's not necessarily somebody that you can directly point to. I mean, I could say Megan Kelly because she came in mm-hmm. also out of D.C. and – hadn't necessarily done a lot of politics, and now she's one of the you know most preeminent figures in all yeah. of media. But is there somebody that you look to and say, I would like to have that person's career in 10 years or 15 years? You know, like you said, it's very different, but Megyn Kelly is a great example because she didn't even get into television or media until her early 30s. She was a lawyer. So it's different. I was not a lawyer, but... She just went after it, and she actually got her start in her break from the same news director who gave me my start and break at the same station in Washington, D.C. So that's always kind of an inspiration to me that you can pivot your path, and I, I do like yeah, I mean, she would have a pretty good career to emulate, right? I think she's making like $17 million a year now. You think you could live on 18. that? Eighteen million. Yeah, um, I, I'm very attracted to outlets that are more um, politically news driven. I've noticed across the landscape, and it's not just sports because there would be a fear even I think three years ago before social media or five five to eight years ago to ha- to express your opinion. But that's sort of the way all news is now. You know, you you kind of lean one way and you you check in with what network sort of does that as well. I think there's a lot of um, opportunities coming up on the landscape that I can't fully discuss. I am, again, under contract. So anyone trying to troll me, I I still, you know, I still do technically work for ESPN. Get a paycheck for ESPN. Yeah. So um, I'm kind of dabbling right now. The Federalist has been great to write for. I'm going to go on the radio tomorrow. Um, there's some things I just can't reveal just yet, but it is it is in the works. I'll put it that way. Outstanding stuff. Enjoy uh, Game of Thrones uh, episode six and seven, and uh, hope to have you on again in in the future as more of those details come uh, apparent. I'm excited. Thanks for having me, Clay. Oh oh oh, O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall. 
and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 